This is First Down Dynasty, right here on the Sports Ethos Network. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is another fine Tuesday evening, which means it's time for First Down Dynasty, right here on the Sports Ethos Network. I am Bill Nye, the Dynasty Guy, and accompanied, as always, across the interweb, multiple dimensions. We're getting very cosmic right now. Mr. Eric Kravitz. I would appreciate it if you if you, you introduced me the correct way. I thought you didn't like that. That's why I, that's why I held no, back. No, 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 no. It's very rare. Okay. Very, very, very rare that um, uh, I have purpose behind my name besides my name Mm. and when somebody gets an accolade they want to wear it loudly and proudly very well so 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 please if you would go right ahead uh i will let's let's backtrace just a moment and ladies and gentlemen i would like to introduce you to my esteemed cohort colleague and friend mr eric kravitz no you did it wrong how did i do it wrong I am the two-time, three-time champ. I know. It's it's a new year. We're moving on. You're right. It is a new year, and I won this year. Yeah, no, what are you, what are you, what are you talking on. about? It's, we're, it's, we're getting out of the month of January now. We got the big <laughs> game coming up in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Grab it. I think before I, before I listen, you should tell the people where they can listen. Um, well, they're, they should already be listening if they're already listening to us fight over literally nothing right now. But if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at FDD underscore ethos. We are also available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at BNK Radio on the X and Twitter machines. Yeah, the, the X thing still bothers me. It just doesn't feel right. That's why I say Twitter too. Like, there are very few people who actually like use X mm-hmm. appropriately, and there are people out there who, understandably so, don't want to call anything by the way they want to be called. Fair enough. What's a pronoun? Who knows? Anyway. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't really want to get into that. What I do want to get into is. The big game is set for two weeks from now. It will be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the San Francisco 49ers. So I went 2-0 this week. Kravit, I believe, went 1-1. One and, one. and a little redemption for myself after the uh, C.J. Stroud debacle. Such a shame. Anyway, both games were exciting. And you ended up feeling differently about both games. Let's start with the Chiefs and the Ravens. Kravit, Andy Reid for years could never get over the hump and had that stigma until he finally won. We kind of share a a kindred spirit, if you will, because I currently have those struggles in one of our fantasy leagues. But Lamar Jackson, anytime he has faced a legitimate opponent in the postseason, has lost. And this game was not pretty. Questionable game planning. Moving forward, do the Ravens, like as good as they could be in the regular season, are they just that team that rolls over once the 
postseason starts? I don't know the answer to that question. Just because we like I I don't want to shit on Lamar. I don't want to shit on Harbaugh. I don't want to shit on that defense. But that team very, very, very clearly did not come prepared to play in an AFC championship game. Lamar had, what, two turnovers? He lost a fumble, and he threw that horrible interception. I get it. I do. I really do. Um, But there were plenty of other things that happened in that game that didn't sort of just give the game away to the Chiefs first and foremost. When you think of the Baltimore Ravens, you don't think of a passing offense. Yes, they did take some steps to become a more two-dimensional offense this year. Lamar had a great year passing the ball. However, when you think of Lamar Jackson, you think of a running quarterback. Do you not, Will? You do. And you also think of, as you mentioned, the Ravens a running team and then throwing off of that. And it was a tight game throughout. So the thing I didn't understand was if you were never more than a touchdown behind, how do you abandon the running game completely when it's been your bread and butter all season? I don't know the answer to that question. They ran the ball, what, like five times altogether? Just complete and utter chaos from Munkin and that offense. And, like, Lamar was the leading rusher for the team. At one point, hell, he was the second leading receiver for that team. I mean, it was a catch for 13 yards. It was early on in the game, of course. But still, when Lamar is catching batted passes to himself and is forced to run for a first down, technically a catch an additional PPR point for you heathens playing in, you know, those fantasy tournament style things that you get on FanDuel and, you know, DraftKings and all those incredibly fun and exciting platforms. Um, There's something horribly wrong, and it's not as if it was a blowout. It's not as if the Kansas City Chiefs played an incredible game and they drowned them out by 30 points. The Baltimore Ravens defense shut out the Chiefs in the second half of that game. And if I told you last week when we were going over the AFC and NFC championship games that the Baltimore Ravens team would shut out the Kansas City Chiefs in the second half, you would think, wow, there's a really good chance the Baltimore Ravens win this football game. Wasn't the case. No. And, you know, the Chiefs offense took advantage of their opportunities. Overall, their numbers on the day were not great. Pacheco ran 24 times for 68 yards, under three yards a carry. Mahomes had a very high completion percentage, only 240 yards on the day. But you had two running backs, not including Lamar, but you had two running backs touch the ball for the Baltimore Ravens. Six total carries for 23 yards. Now, Justice Hill only averaged a yard. But Gus Edwards had three carries for 20 yards. That's nearly seven yards a carry, and he got three carries. Like, I, I just, I, it, nothing, it, it just doesn't make sense on any level, especially what we know about the Ravens. It was like a different team. I do not understand what happened here. 
I, I nobody has an answer for it. You know what? I take that back. There's one person who has an answer, and it's Art Monken. We don't know what Art Monken was thinking when he came up with this game plan to essentially castrate the best part of your offense. Lamar Jackson, like I said before, had a nice year throwing the ball, but he ran for 800 yards. He ran for five touchdowns. He was the bread and butter of that offense. And yes, Zay Flowers had an incredibly stupid penalty after a really nice catch that cost the Ravens 15 yards on a taunting penalty. Yes, Zay Flowers also lost a fumble trying to dive towards the end zone for a touchdown, and the Chiefs recovered that fumble in the end zone, forcing a touchback. Yes, we understand those things happen, but the fact that Lamar wasn't really tasked to run, and he threw a ball into triple coverage to end that game, part of me is thinking that something had to have happened that threw that game script completely on its head because the Ravens all year, they were the best team in football running the ball. They were the best team in football, literally by record. They very, they, they, they lost four games over the course of the year. They lost the game to the Browns. They lost the game here. They lost the game there competitive throughout. It's not like they were blowing people. They, they were getting blown out, but they did blow people out. They blew out the Browns. They blew out the Lions. They blew out the 49ers, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Did they blow out their birthday candles? <sighs> Guess not. Oh, my God. Why? Anyway, something had to have happened over the course of that game. Don't know where, don't know when, don't know how. But something had to have happened to Lamar or Gus Edwards or something where they were forced to play an incredibly one-dimensional offense. That's the only thing I could think of that can almost justify what went down in that game. And the weirdest part is, the week before, the one thing that was really going right for the Buffalo Bills against Kansas City was that Josh Allen ran all over them. So I, I it's almost like if Lamar can do what Josh Allen can do just as well, which he can, and the running big game in general is solid. I don't understand how the one weakness of the Chiefs a week ago was not even attempted to be exploited. So I just, I don't understand the Chiefs. Ultimately, you have Patrick Mahomes and he's a winner. Even with, you know, not putting up the gaudy numbers that we're used to. And the Ravens right now are obviously a well-run franchise. But they have come up short a lot during the Lamar Jackson era. And he did just get that big contract, so he's not going anywhere. Do you think, I don't even know if, you know, he'll ever take that next step. Or they're just going to be stuck in, you know, the avenue of perennially playoff bound, but never good enough to actually put it all together. So what you're saying is you think they're will in week 15. No, 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 no. I think that's what you're saying. More saying he's Peyton Manning. So he's won in week 15. So he's, I mean, he won two Super Bowls, Peyton Manning did. One, he won off the backs of another defense. I'm not sitting here pretending that Peyton Manning contributed to the Broncos Super Bowl win over the the Panthers. I'm fine if Aaron Rodgers does Oh, okay. So, okay. So what you're saying is he's Matt Ryan. Ugh. I, yeah, it's I, not pretty. 
I think that the Ravens can find a way to make it back to the AFC Championship game and make a Super Bowl again. I really do think that way. It's an incredibly talented team. They're missing they were missing a true running back throughout most of the year. J.K. Dobbins got hurt week one towards ACL. And then they lost Keaton Mitchell to another torn ligament. So it's not like they had an insanely consistent running game. They had Dalvin Cook on their roster. They had Melvin Gordon on their roster. That tells you all you need to know when it comes to the consistency of of that Ravens backfield, obviously not including Lamar Jackson. And another thing that that team was missing, we forget for a lot of the year was a consistent second receiving option. They do have Zay Flowers who emerged to be one of the best rookie receivers of this year. And eventually down the line between now and the draft, we'll do an entire year in review by position to go over what seemed like a complete renaissance for offensive rookies everywhere you looked just power, tight end, running back, wide receiver, quarterback, all of it. We'll go over that later down the line. Um, but outside of him, Mark Andrews was hurt for a long time. We, you know, we we had to deal with Isaiah Likely for a little bit. Rash- Rashad Bateman was there for some r- dumb reason still. Nelson Aguilar was on the team. (laughs) Like Odell Beckham Jr. was not the second receiver we thought he would be. So it's hard to it's hard to figure out. The questions are: Is that also you know like you've had you had some guys you know work well, but is that also an indication like of Lamar not being able to you know support like an actual offensive staff where the guys' numbers are more centered around, you know, himself than it is all the weapons. Can you repeat that? I did not hear what you said. Basically saying that, you know, perhaps like Lamar puts up the numbers in total, but outside of, you know, Zay Flowers, no one else was really able to get involved. That could be an indication on them. It certainly could. Or could it be an indication on Lamar that outside of, you know, his top number one guy, whether, you know, whoever it is, he can't really support multiple offensive players. I that I don't believe. I genuinely think that Lamar can absolutely support more than one offensive player. Um, we saw it a little bit last year um, with uh, Gus Edwards had a productive year last year. Mark Andrews had a really nice year last year. And also we forget Lamar was hurt for a good portion of the year last year, too. So um, again, I'm not here to to to, to sully the bad name of, of Lamar Jackson. I should say, I will, however, go to bat for him and say, look, I do think that we might be overreacting a little bit and saying that they'll never go back to the Super Bowl or at least to the AFC Championship game. I truly believe that they will eventually make it back there. I do. Well- well, he's got plenty of time to figure it out. And, you know, the Ravens, like we said, they're a good organization. They will be back. So he will have an op- another opportunity to change the narrative. Uh, but right now, the narrative is the Chiefs advance and Baltimore goes home early again. We move to the NFC, which was definitely a much more exciting game. For about 30 minutes, that first half, the entire populace 
of the state of Michigan was in euphoria. They were up 21-7 to going into the half. And you really could sense that this was going to happen. The Lions were going to make the Super Bowl. And in that moment on, the question on the other side was San Francisco. Was Kyle Shanahan going to blow it again? Was Was Brock Purdy a legitimate quarterback? And the answer we got was absolutely stunning as they held the Lions until late to almost nothing in the second half offensively. And San Francisco pulled out one of the most miraculous comebacks I remember. You got to look at that game as literally a tale of two halves. Like you said, by halftime, C.J. Gardner-Johnson was waving goodbye to the Niners faithful. He was saying, goodbye, so long, don't need to see you again, thank you, bye-bye, which is nuts, absolutely goddamn crazy because we saw what happened. Uh, But at the beginning of that game, it uh, it took the Lions three plays to score on their opening drive. Not even two minutes had come off the clock by the time Jamison Williams scored that first touchdown. And they made that happen by running the ball down the Niners' throats. And going into this game, everybody was saying that the Niners' Achilles heel on defense was that run game. And on paper, it looked good. They had really good rankings against the run. But part of that was because they were up so early so often, teams had no choice but to throw the ball. So they didn't really see a lot of running game in the second half in the majority of their games. And on top of that, between David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, who is, oh my God, is Jameer Gibbs special. They dominated that first half by running the football. Amon Ross St. Brown had about five receptions. Sam Laporta had four. Like The offensive stars had their moments. Josh Reynolds, not an offensive star, had moments because he dropped three passes in that first half. And then we moved to the second half, right? We expect more of the same, just to completely Lions-dominant game, run the football down their throats. That Niners defense stepped right the hell up. They were incredible against the run in the second half. Absolutely nuts. And on top of that, they completely eliminated Amon Ross St. Brown for the majority of that second half. He didn't have his first catch in the second half until midway through the fourth quarter. And on top of that, you have some fluke plays. You have that play where Purdy hit a defender on the head and Brandon Ayuk makes that catch. One of the best catches this century in the playoffs, not taking anything away from Mario Manningham and David Tyree. We pay respect to the elders here in New York. We do. It's true. But that was an all-timer. Went ahead and scored the touchdown two plays later, three plays later. And then there's a fumble between Jared Goff and Jameer. Whose fault was it? We never know. It looked like Jared Goff turned the wrong way. And Jameer Gibbs never really got his hands on that ball when it was his turn to make a move. So, and of course, like the good teams do, the Niners completely capitalized on that. And that was, in again, just an incredible way to lose a football game. The Detroit Lions had a chance. 
they had a chance to be America's team 2.0. And and and, and it, it just didn't happen. It was not the case, which sucks. I feel really bad for them. There's no way around it. You, you just feel terrible. There's... And hopefully, hopefully they learn from this and they come back stronger. There is no way around it. When you have that big of a lead and you blow it, you, you, you choked, unfortunately. And they were the lovely story all year long. But during halftime and the response by San Francisco, it was almost like they got that remember the Titans speech at halftime. The I don't want to, them to gain another yard. I'm going to stop you right there. You know damn well what I'm about to say, and it's going to be the worst sentence you've ever heard me say in my entire life. Oh, no. Please, yep. please, to please don't ruin yep. this. You already know. I, I don't you know. already know. I, I completely didn't even realize that that was a thing because I could, I, I could swear that that is one that you would have taken upon yourself to have addressed. Nope. No. Okay. Nope. So, we, ladies and gentlemen, you, you you know how this goes. I know. I have over the last twelve years, twelve years, twelve years that I have that I have been trying to become a real person. I have seen I don't know maybe six seven movies, a little bit more than that. However, however, I have only seen those movies because of two people in my life. You and my wife. And if you haven't shown me that movie and my wife hasn't shown me that movie, there is no way in hell that I will have actually seen that movie. Uh, stunning, really. Um, I'm going to make sure we, we address this in the near future. But for now, I will just say it is one of the greatest speech moments in a football movie ever will give you chills literal chills and basically the second half they took over and they were not going to fail ultimately that is the way san francisco looked in that game that what happened in the first half was they got blitzed and now they were coming to play and they were not going to allow themselves to lose that game so a credit to kyle shanahan a credit to that entire team they finally get to the Super Bowl, and now let's see if they can beat Patrick Mahomes. And for the Lions, everyone did want that experience of seeing a team that has been so miserable for so long finally win. I only hope that if that is the Jets next year, that people feel the same way about us, which they won't because we're the Jets. But it is a dream. Some some might say a pipe dream, but a dream nonetheless. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that eventual matchup in the next few weeks. But for right now, Krevit, most of the coaching um, positions have been filled. So we look to next year. We look to the free agents this year. And one of the most interesting aspects about this year's free agency is simply the running back group. A lot of players going to change names. A lot of running backs last year in the headlines because of contracts that were not tendered to some of the better players well this year it'll be interesting to see who does get paid who doesn't not a great class of running backs supposedly this year so these veterans might actually find jobs we'll see if they get paid but Kravit 
talk about this class. There's a lot of big names that are fantasy-relevant names that could be moving to new teams. Whether that ends up being good or bad is still to be determined, though. This free Asian class was the big reason that in my rookie drafts going into 2023, I went running back heavy, like very heavy. I got a lot of H. Han. I got a lot of Kendra Miller. I got some Jameer Gibbs. I even managed to get a couple of B. John Robinsons because all of these incoming guys and all of them coming off their first contracts might be franchise tag too. You never know. But there are some really good fantasy football names, some old faithfuls, some reliable people, some maybe not so reliable. And I would be really shocked if people came out of the woodwork to be relevant again. And we're going to go in order in terms of how fantasy relevant we think they'll be, regardless of their landing spot. We need to make that clear. If one of these guys ends up on the Houston Texans and somebody ends up, I don't know, it on the chargers, you know, whatever it is, or they end up being a backup running back somewhere. Obviously the list will change and it'll be a live breathing document that we will update for you on X at FDD underscore ethos and at BNK radio. But the first and argue not, you know, not even arguably the most important um, running back free agent this season is going to be Saquon Barkley. No, no, no question about it. None. I mean, the fact that I, I, I doubt they tag him again. The question is, will they tender him a contract? The Giants seem to be in a state of uncertainty with how this season went compared to last season, how the coaching staff seems volatile. And is that going to make a difference, whatever they end up doing with their draft pick? If they reset again, I don't think they're going to be paying a running back. But I do think Saquon is one of those guys that is the heart of that team. So he could get paid. I just don't know if they're going to want to give up as the number that he's probably looking for. But I don't think they're going to really want to franchise tag him again either. So he could very well hit the market, and that opens up a lot of opportunities. A lot of teams could use his services. Once again, it's going to be the right fit. But... We talked about, I think a few weeks ago, the Houston Texans come to mind as a team needing a running back. Any of the guys that we're going to talk about could fill that role. The Baltimore Ravens, as you mentioned, have always dealt with a committee approach to running back, but they have dealt with so many running back injuries over the last few years. I don't think they hang on to J.K. Dobbins again, but, you know, anything is possible. And just so many, any team would be lucky to have a Saquon Barkley. And he is the elite of this class. Uh, of course. And that's not saying that the other running backs in this Asian class are bad. There are some powerful, powerful, powerful names here. But when we tell you the rest of their names, you're going to look at them and then you're going to look at Saquon Barkley and say, oh, this makes sense. I, I, I think I understand where they're coming from. And just the second name on this list, at least in term, at least we think second best running back on this list. Josh Jacobs, formerly of the Vegas Raiders. Uh, Jacobs is interesting to me. Obviously had a, had an okay year this year. That team was really messed up and obviously got better under Antonio Pierce. Josh Jacobs, breakout year last year pretty much. Another solid year. Only 25. So 
the I don't think I don't know if the Raiders have any other large pending free agents. It is possible he gets tagged. But I feel like he is gonna re up there no matter what. But Josh Jacobs, should he be on the move, would be, definitely be intriguing. And dealt with he's the problem is he's the kind of guy that has always dealt with minor injuries. Nothing too crazy, but things that keep him out for extended periods of time. Last year, only eight hundred yards. Only played in thirteen of the eighteen of the seventeen games. And, you know, really didn't uh, contribute quite as much in receiving either. And only six total touchdowns, which compared to the previous year, not, you know, obviously not holding up at that point. So I do think he needs a bounce back here. Obviously, he still can be one of the most explosive running backs in the league. You just got to hope he stays healthy and goes back to those numbers from 2022. Very capable. And obviously, out of all these running backs, at least at the elite tier that we would put him at, definitely the youngest moving forward. And Kravit, we move on to number three in our list, the elder statesman of the class, but also one of the greatest running backs we've had the pleasure to watch in our lifetime. And up until a few years ago, one might say he's never been caught from behind, which unfortunately we cannot say anymore, but... Derrick Henry is moving on from the Titans at the end of the year. I don't know where he's going to go, but the idea of him playing with a team that's more quarterback central as opposed to the way it's been running the Titans, even at 30 years old, that is a scary thought to me. He's going to be like the 60 and it's in some sort of 60-40 split. He's going to be what we always knew Derrick Henry would be. Just the the bruiser, the 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 guy at the goal line who who he, he might resemble Jamal Williams in, on the Lions a couple of years ago, somebody with 800 yards and 15 touchdowns. And you know what for Derrick Henry that's a really nice place to be. He is 30 years old, which is you know typically the age where your standard running backs will find a way to decline. But Derrick Henry is sort of that dude. Derrick Henry is, is legendary. He is the reason the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed a few years ago and were one game away from making a Super Bowl. So it's not like Derrick Henry doesn't have the pedigree to be a, a, a team, a priority option for a team. But we saw him in real time decline. And that was very, it was an interesting place to be. Well, I just, just say he did decline, but still averaged over four yards a carry last year. Had over 1,100 yards. The problem is you're expecting Derrick Henry to be like at 1,600 yards. And I, I do attribute some of that to the fact that the quarterback play was very, 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 very bad. And the fact that they really didn't have too much from their wide receivers. And obviously, DeAndre Hopkins also with that offense with limited quarterback play was not himself either to draw any attention away from Derek. I know. I know. I I just... I was sitting there watching the, the Titans, and we saw the emergence of Taji Spears, which is great. 
I'm really happy for him. But just watch. I, I'm going to keep saying it. Like we saw the decline of Derrick Henry right before our very eyes, and that hurts. That was really sad to watch. So his case is the most intriguing to me. I could see Josh Jacobs ending up somewhere good. I could see Saquon Barkley ending up somewhere good. I'm not so sure that we're going to see Derrick Henry end up somewhere incredible. It would be very, I, I would be very shocked if that was the case. I don't know because unlike the other guys we've talked about, he is a little bit older, probably not going to command as much money, or definitely not as long term as some of the other guys. Might be willing to take a little bit less to play for your, you know, a championship level team. I wouldn't be as surprised if a guy like him, you know, ended up on you know a playoff team where it's a better quarterback. Adam, trying to think off the top of my head, but like. You know, Cincinnati has sometimes struggled with Joe Mixon. Seeing a low couple million dollars thrown to a Derrick Henry there might be, you know, something that could be intriguing. Maybe like the Eagles, or we know Dallas needed a bigger running back. Obviously, you know, we talked about that at length this past year. Was Tony Pollard able to be the guy? Well, unfortunately, uh, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but he was not able to be that guy. Going to a team like Dallas with that offensive line could potentially be. So I think there's a few options out there where things might work out. Uh, Kravit, one of your favorite running backs has been RB1, 2, 3 for the last few years. He was hurt early this year, and he never seemed to find his groove. Austin Eckler is now 28 years old and potentially on his way out as the Chargers welcome in Jim Harbaugh and his offense. Does Eckler stick around in L.A., or does he move on? And what are what do you like about his prospects moving forward? It hurts. It hurts so much to say anything disparaging about Austin Eckler because not only is Austin Eckler, for, for all intents and purposes, is a really nice guy, he is a big name in the fantasy football podcast, radio show, influencer space, whatever, however you want to refer to him. He has been a big voice. He even traded for himself in his own fantasy league after he got hurt. That's how much he was dedicated to proving the haters wrong. Unfortunately for him, the haters were proven 100% correct. Um, Believe it or not, I'm still I still have hope for Austin Eckler, specifically in redraft. In redraft leagues, I could see Austin Eckler falling into the second, maybe even the third round, depending on you know what kind of league you're in and all that stuff. And in that case, I am a really, really, really big fan. Um, for a, from a dynasty standpoint, I could see maybe one more, two more big years. But the problem is, just like you said earlier. All these guys want to get paid. And we saw, I was talking about the decline of Derrick Henry in real time. We had a front row seat eating popcorn to see what happened to Austin Eckler after he hurt his ankle again. He might, he, he might hold out. He might not play. He has other business ventures. Hell, like if, if these guys don't get the money they want, what's stopping them from retiring now? People are playing football. We're, we're only playing football for the money nowadays because everybody has a million different business ventures 
Who's to say Austin Eckler wants to continue to play football? Who says he needs to continue to play football? And that goes for all of these guys, your Saquons, your Josh Jacobs, your Derrick Henrys. And as we move down the list, it'll probably be more and more likely that they don't play football again. But Austin Eckler, to me, is a very interesting case. I'm not so sure that unless he gets the money he's looking for, and he was one of the main voices in making sure running backs get paid their fair share last offseason, who knows if he comes back? Definitely interesting to think about. Uh, in spite of his struggles, and he only ran at 3.5 yards a carry this year, still put up a total of over 1,000 yards, which I wouldn't think. But, you know, obviously his receiving game was still somewhat effective. And I don't really think, as a total offense, a team dealt with more injuries than the Chargers did. Obviously, Herbert was banged up and then missed the end of the year. Eckler missed the start of the year. You lost... Um, jo- uh, why, is, why is the name escaping me, Krevit? Um What are we looking for? Well, how can I help you? Not Keenan Allen. Who's the other wide receiver that's always hurt? Mike Williams. Mike Williams, thank you. For some reason, I had Quentin Johnson stuck in my head. Who I'm sorry to hear horrible, that. Horrible, horrible rookie <laughs> year for him. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but yes, Mike Williams is parentally hurt as well. Obviously, this was a big injury as opposed to his other times, but, you know, not good there. And then Keenan Allen obviously missed the end of the year with an injury because at that point, there was no reason for him to try to play through any of that. I definitely think Eckler isn't done, even though his days of being a number one running back are over. He's definitely, I think, fallen into the number two running back area, but I think wherever he winds up, if he does move on from the Chargers, he's still one of the best PPR running backs. He still had 51 catches last year. It's like He played in 14 games. It definitely feels like he, out of those 14, was only really himself in like seven. I definitely think his time in the sun is not over yet, but it's closing. In spite of being two years older, I think I'd still take Terry Henry over Eckhart at this point. Uh, just because he still showed that he is still somewhat explosive. Where Eckler, in a lot of his runs, if not for his shiftiness, looked very slow. I don't know if it's something you picked up on, but his burst did not seem there anymore. So someone I would be very weary of, you know, moving forward uh, in Dynasty seasons if someone's trying to move on. He was the complete opposite of himself last year. And when I say that, um, uh, last year, he was one of the best goal line backs in the entire NFL. This year, they wouldn't dare give him the ball at the one-yard line. He couldn't get any power. He couldn't gain any burst, like Will said. Just a very odd and honestly awful season for him. Um, It'll be interesting to see if he's able to bounce back from the ankle injury and if he's able to come back better than ever before, like he was the Hess truck. We'll see. Um, I would be nervous if I was somebody... Um you know, putting some stock on Austin Eckler. That's all I'm going to say. I think the biggest enigma is probably, you know, there's there's a few of them, but one of the biggest enigmas of this class is DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift had 1,000 yards rushing, over 1,200 yards total, six touchdowns on the air, stayed healthy for the most part, which is fantastic for him. But there were some games the Eagles treated as if he wasn't dressed and just standing on the sidelines. And, you know, the Eagles had a lot of problems this year offensively in general. But 
I don't know what to make of DeAndre Swift. He had a very good year for a solid offense that had an overall down year. He has an injury past. He's 25 years old, so he's still young for running back. Kravitz, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know if this is a guy I want to trade for. I don't know if this is a guy that's necessarily going to get another shot with the Eagles or move on. I have no idea what's going to happen with him, and that terrifies me. I have no idea. I don't think anybody does, really. He was on the one-year deal to prove that he could stay healthy, and he could stay healthy, which I think is great for him. I think that this is probably the most likely of all of these guys for them to stay with their team. I think he's a good fit in Philadelphia. They had brought in Rashad Penny to you know spell him. They also have Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell. But it turns out that they didn't even need Rashad Penny, who I think was a healthy scratch and more more often than he wasn't. Um, it, it very very interesting, very interesting year for DeAndre Swift. Although, like you said, it's not like he was bad. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. I think that of all these guys who are the most unlikely to end up with their teams. I think he will have, I think he's the most likely to stay with the team that he's currently on. That is, that is what I'm trying to say. Do you think they brought in Rashad Penny just to make DeAndre Swift look even better as far as the injuries? <laughs> Who knows, man? I, I couldn't <laughs> tell you. Um, it's, it's not at all impossible. The Eagles do have a lot to, to, to sort of reflect on after being bounced a couple weeks ago. So we'll see what happens, and it'll be very interesting moving forward for the Eagles and for DeAndre Swift, what's going to happen with them. Um, I think that this is the first mistake that you have on your list. I'm looking ahead. I think the person that you're about to mention deserves to be higher on this list than DeAndre Swift does. Interesting. Well, he in himself is another enigma. Going into last year, Tony Pollard was, you know, coming off a great season. He was running back, I think, seven, two years ago. And everyone expected without Zeke Elliott, he, he was going to take advantage of the uptick in touches. And, you know, he was going to, you know, replicate that or potentially be even better. I wasn't one of them. I didn't think it was going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to be quite as bad as it was. And... Tony Pollard was a shell of what we knew last year. And at the very least, he went from a guy who was going to get paid okay and come out with a decent amount of money to a guy that I don't even know if he gets franchise tagged, let alone gets a new contract of any, like a multi-year contract of any significant value. I'm, he had over 1300 yards last year total but averaged just four yards a carry barely over a thousand yards rushing and i don't know the the chemistry with him and dak was not there like it was two years ago so i don't know what happened but a guy who for his career is averaging nearly a yard a carry more than he did last year it's not exactly a good sign and on top of that, it's not like the Dallas Cowboys had a worse offensive line. They had a solid offensive line once again. And it's not like he had a ton of, you know, pressure coming out of the backfield. It's not like he had a lot of competition. It was him, Rico Dowdle, and Deuce Vaughn. And Deuce Vaughn was inactive a lot of the time. He was a rookie who barely dressed. 
So Tony Ballard really dropped the ball, which sucks because a lot of people, including myself, put a lot of stock into Tony Pollard this past year. But I do think that a lot of it was was mental. He was coming off of a really bad foot injury. And maybe, just maybe, I'm praying to sweet baby Jesus above that he comes back next year strong. I think that he has the potential to bounce back more than a lot of the other running backs who had disappointing years this past year. Whether that be with Dallas, whether it be with Houston, whether it be in LA, whether it be a bunch of places, I think Tony Pollard should bounce back and maybe he won't be a running back one again, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him in the running back 15 to 20 range once again. It's just an interesting note. So he nearly had identical rushing yards as he did last year. The problem is last year he got to 1,007 yards in 193 attempts. This year he got to 1,005 yards in 252 attempts. So definitely Yikes. something is was not quite right with Dallas and Tony Pollard this year. Uh, so I, I kind of feel like he's not going to be in Dallas is the gut feeling at this point, but you know we'll wait and see on that. From a guy that had the chance for a big payday and failed to a guy that was an afterthought after moving on from his old team to might be a solid running back pickup for someone. Zach Moss took the chaos that was the Jonathan Taylor season with the Colts and earned himself some money this year because he looked really good in several games filling in for Jonathan Taylor. And then, you know, had his own injuries a little bit, but came back and had a really solid season from a guy that no one was expecting. And, you know, those seasons are fun. Those are good. We, we, we take those. And kind of fits in, you know, right here before we get to, you know, the end of the class. Probably the biggest surprise out of anybody. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Know. Nobody expected Zach Moss to be anything of anybody because... He was a bum, an absolute bum. And he was in Buffalo before, correct? If I remember correctly, yes, he, was. He, he just did nothing in Buffalo. He was literally a throw in in a trade. That's how he ended up in Indianapolis. But it ended up working out for him. He was a running back one, like a top six guy throughout the throughout the beginning of the year when Jonathan Taylor was hurt, which is sad and hilarious. Is it more sad or more hilarious? What what do you, what do you think? Um, well, Buffalo's really doesn't do a good job with any of their running backs, so I kind of think it's yeah, it's kind of sad. We'll go with sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of sad indeed. Kind of sad indeed. Um, but yeah, Zach Moss he he might he might have played himself into maybe a David Montgomery sort of deal, maybe even a a Deonta Foreman type deal. Um, just, just, just because he was that goddamn good. Um, nobody expected it. You didn't expect it. I didn't expect it, but that the, just as the Colts in general, they were really good all year long. And I, I'm, I'm glad that they played well. And I'm, it's always good to see people succeed. I don't understand why people don't like it when people outplay what they're perceived to do. Like let let people make their money, let people get their bag, and just be happy for them, right? Yeah, like... yeah no, absolutely. Uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, he was under a thousand yards for the year, but had nearly eight hundred rushing. Not a great average, but just it's the body of work. It's 
not all stats tell the whole story. You watch him, and when he was the guy for a few games, he put up, you know, over 20 points in those games for like three consecutive weeks. Um, he definitely is a capable as a split back, a very capable backup. And once he got out of Buffalo, you know, like it's interesting to see that a guy like Zach Moss that everyone had written off, you know, he suddenly revives himself just a little bit. So definite interest to, you know, see what happens. I feel like they're going to bring him back. So him backing up Jonathan Taylor, I really don't think is the worst thing. And you proved that, you know, even he'll have some standalone value, even with Taylor, because they did not want to give Taylor the workload that he had two years ago, uh, where he clearly, you know, regressed from having over 400 carries in a season. Um, so I definitely think they'd want to keep him a little fresher. So I do think he stays, and I do like that moving forward. Then we move on to his former running mate in Buffalo, who also got out this year, and Devin Singletary was slated to be the backup and the after a great rookie season Damian Pierce did not follow it up well crap no 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 we're not we're not here to talk about uh Damian Pierce thankfully um we're here to talk about the reemergence of Devin Singletary who was a monster he took that running back one job by force actually by force I think that he could actually be above Zach Moss in these rankings. And I really wouldn't be surprised if the Texans re-signed a Devin Singletary, but to be a backup running back if he can't find starting work elsewhere. And with how clogged and how stacked this free agent class is, I wouldn't be surprised if he couldn't find work elsewhere. Um, But he played very well. In the playoffs, he played well as well. Like Devin Singletary is, has been a perennially undervalued and underappreciated running back from the moment he stepped into the NFL. And he's just honestly, he, he's outperformed expectations year in and year out to the point where I think he should get a legitimate, you know, legitimate chance to be a starting running back and something that's working for him. That might not work for a lot of the running backs coming into this free agent class into this offseason is that he's not expecting a lot of money. Your Saquons, your Josh Jacobs, your Ecklers, your Derrick Henry, all these guys are probably going to be looking at something in the 10, 12 million a year range. You're you're telling me that Devin Singletary is not expecting anything more than six, maybe six and a half a year. I think Devin Singletary gets signed much earlier than a lot of these guys because he knows the value of the running back market. He knows they're not getting paid and he knows what his talent level is going up against a lot of these guys. So Devin Singletary, look for him to be one of the first running backs signed in the offseason. I could definitely see it. At the very least, you are right. He is very consistent. He has rushed for 800 yards every year for the last three predominantly as a split back or backup. And over the last three years, <laughs> kind of quietly, you look at his total over the course of those three years, and he has 18 touchdowns. For a guy that's predominantly a backup or split back, that is actually really, really solid numbers right there. At this point, we kind of take probably what we would consider a drop down 
as far as the talent level. This is, you know, definite backup running backs. A um, couple guys in different classes here. You have a few older running backs that have had success in the past. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, Gus Edwards all have had their standalone value. Obviously, Zeke and Kareem have had all great years. Gus Edwards has had a few good years as well. But they are all 28 years old and are all probably not what they were anymore. Private, out of these guys, give me one that you kind of can see, you know, having a better bounce back year. Zeke Elliott did have a solid year this year in that awful offense that was up in New England. But out of these three, which one do you think kind of you would kind of put ahead of the other two and to have a solid backup role next year? I don't know. I really like Zeke. I wanted to like J.K. Dobbins so bad, but two just heart-wrenching, debilitating injuries back-to-back. That's never a good thing. You never, ever, ever want to see that. So I can choose J.K. Dobbins. I would have loved to. But I can't. Um, I don't trust Gus Edwards. Just because it, it, it's rough to really trust Gus Edwards. He was a poor man's David Montgomery this past uh, this past season. He was a touchdown machine. Not much else. Um, by David Montgomery, I mean Jamal Williams. He was Jamal Williams for the for the Lions. Oh man, Jamal Williams wasn't even Jamal Williams. This yeah, year. Jamal Williams had one touchdown this past year. It was on the last drive of the game, and it was on a play that was meant to be knelt down, but the team wanted to give Jamal Williams a touchdown. So he had literally the most flugy touchdown of the entire season, maybe of all time. I didn't want to say that. I'm not a hyperbolic kind of guy, but you never know. You never know. Somebody who I like and I might be spat on for this towards the end of the year when Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon were out of commission, Clyde Edwards Alaire sort of came on and he wasn't anything special. He wasn't anybody that you would confuse for a thousand, twelve hundred yard rusher. But he did for a few moments here and there. Flash productivity. He was able to show that he could do something if he was given the ball. And I forgot how low to the ground Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. He is like a light bowling ball. He doesn't run as angrily as Isaiah Pacheco does, but he is a sort of a violent runner. He's not, he, he, he sort of finesses you, but like he, he'll run at you. And I think that's something that a team can get for real cheap. And I think he'll be able to prove a lot of people wrong and sort of, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's something that a lot of people are going to look past. And I think Clyde Clyde Edwards Alaire doesn't deserve that. So I think he's somebody who could really come on. Well, he definitely leads the final tier of, you know, free agent running backs kind of the, uh, young dart throws that have had their issues up to this point. Uh, CEH has had good games, but obviously just was not effective with Kansas City, you know, last year and a little bit the year before. A.J. Dillon, disappointment in 
Green Bay, and Cam Akers, obviously, his injuries and productivity issues are well documented. All those are probably the three youngest running backs on the list. And honestly, if I had to pick one to kind of maintain a carved-out role, it probably would be CEH. Cam Akers, unfortunately, I don't feel like he's ever fully going to recover from that Achilles. And that same thing also scares me with J.K. Dobbins. A.J. Dillon, I don't know what to make of, because a guy with that physical skill set you would think would be more productive, and he just isn't. So I would probably agree with you. Out of you know the bottom of the free agent class list, I think CEH probably has the likeliest to kind of maintain an impact moving forward where these other guys probably are looking to be injury fill-ins, honestly, at this point until further notice, until we can get another expanded look at them. But it'll be interesting to see moving forward. Kravit, obviously running back is the most important position, um, or at least historically has been the most important position in fantasy, just because there isn't uh, typically a whole lot to work with. These are the free agents. This is like The fact that there's running back depth, the fact that most of these guys are going to hit free agency, not including the rookie class, not including the guys still under contract at this point. If you had to, I'm going to take Saquon out of the list, because the answer would be Saquon, out of the rest of the guys in this list, for your dynasty team next year, if you had to trade for one of them, which one do you think you'd want to trade for for this upcoming season? It's really quite sad. Because I already traded for both of these guys. <laughs> I I already traded for both Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard. Um, and uh, that was the team that I dragged to the finals that will stop me horribly from becoming a four-time champion this year. Like a brick wall. Like a goddamn ton of bricks. I just had reality really show up in my face. Um, and we didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Oh man. So with that said, I think I would still rather Josh Jacobs over Tony Pollard, over DeAndre Swift, Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler. And that's, and even there, there are tears, but to me, Josh Jacobs is the one that if I needed to have a, uh, do something with to me, Josh Jacobs is the running back. I'm starting my team with. Okay. Sounds good. I mean, what I, about you? For next year, for next year only, just because the idea of Derrick Henry at this point, obviously not knowing yet where he's going, if I had to trade for one running back for next year, I would want to trade for Derrick Henry because I think his productivity, you know, was still there for the most part, and you put him on a team with a better offense, a better offensive game plan, a better quarterback, and I think he's got one more special year. So if I'm in a win now mode and I want you know, to add someone, that's the guy I think I'd want for next year. I think he's got one more special year left. Okay. So that's where we go. So we've covered the free agent classes for the running backs and wide receivers. Uh, there's a few quarterbacks of note. We may touch on that next week just quickly. But for the most part, you know, that's, you know, the important people as far as uh, free agency are concerned at this point. And then... Kravit will be a week away from the final game of the year. And we'll kind of start getting into 
you know, that draft time, those prospects, those people we got to talk about. Because soon enough, rookie drafts will be upon us once again, which I know is Kravitz's favorite time of the year at this point. Listen, any draft season is my favorite time of the year. But I have never, ever, ever in the history of playing fantasy sports been in a much better position than I'm in right now when it comes to drafting rookies. And boy, oh boy, I I, I think Will knows what the deal is in, in the 32-team league that we're in. But God damn, man, we have so many picks. I'm still wheeling and dealing. And I can't wait. We're going to completely transform our team. We're going to transform the league. And this is, yeah, me too. Um, But yeah, rookie draft season is the best time of the year for me. Um, Just a programming note for those of you who might be new to Billy and myself. We normally do a a superb owl pre-show. Um, closer to the superb owl. So if you are wondering, they didn't talk about the big game. There's a very good reason we didn't talk about the big game. And we are going to keep that to ourselves, probably record it the day of or a day before, and then release it that day. So fret not, you will have our superb owls um, or soup or bowl um, predictions at some point in the near future. Yes, and we could talk about that forever, but, you know, that's boring, and we try to talk fantasy as much as humanly possible, so we try to stick to that, and with that, we're just about done for this fine evening. We'll be back next week with another episode of First Down Dynasty. Krev, do you have any final thoughts of the week to say to the people now that we only have one game left in this football season? Leave Taylor alone. She's not a government psyop. She's not the devil playing favorites. She's not here to supplant Jesus Christ, God, Muhammad, whichever deity that you pray to. She's just somebody who wants to support her significant other, just like hopefully you would support your significant other if you weren't a giant piece of shit. That's all. That's all I got to say. And to summarize, what he's saying is be excellent to each other. Thank you, Bill and Ted. All right. With that is it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of First Down Dynasty right here on the Sports Ethos Network. Have a good night, everybody.